The following audio is from Potomac Heights Baptist Church, located in Indian Head, Maryland. More information about Potomac Heights Baptist Church is available at www.phbc.com. Potomac Heights Baptist Church exists to glorify God and to make Christ known to the ends of the world by helping one another become more like Jesus. It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. In October of 1998, I attended a Promise Keepers men's rally at Williams Bryce Football Stadium in Columbia, South Carolina. And the atmosphere, I remember, was electric. The preaching was outstanding, it was powerful. But most of what I remember from that rally was that during the second day of that rally, the Lord clearly spoke to me. I'm I'm not suggesting that he spoke to me in an audible way. I've never heard the audible voice of God. I know some people say they have, and that's fantastic, but I've never heard that. Uh, But he clearly spoke to me. At the time, I was a school administrator. Um, I was also in the church. I was a deacon. I was a Sunday school teacher in the church. Um, I had already gone on several mission trips stateside as well as my first international mission trip to Romania. But at that conference, the Lord spoke to me. And I felt as if he was saying to me that he wanted something more from me. But I didn't really know what that meant. What, what more does he want? And so when I returned home from the conference, I told my wife, told Mary about it. Um, our oldest son at the time was uh, almost two years old. Uh, not quite, but almost two years old, and our daughter was only about three months old. And so we committed to pray about it, and we prayed about it. And then within a year of that conference, less than a year later from that conference, we were um, on the mission field in Germany. We'd accepted a two-year assignment to Germany. And then at the end of those two years, we come back, and I start attending seminary to, to get trained for ministry, and I spent the better part of the next decade um, earning my Master's of Divinity as well as my PhD in Systematic Theology. And so I share this story because when many of us think about a call to ministry, we think about something like this, right? We think about leaving a job we enjoy or, or, or frankly, maybe a job we don't so much enjoy. In my case, it was a job I enjoyed. Um, I I enjoyed working in the school system. Uh, But we think about leaving that job uh, we think about um, you know, attending seminary for however many years it's going to take so we can be prepared for ministry. And then we think about when we actually begin ministry, if you will, we were going to go to a foreign country like Savannah or like I did. Um, or we think about if we're not in a foreign country, we're, we're, you know, at least we're moving you know, miles and miles and miles away from, from friends and family. Now, obviously... That is what some calls to ministry look like. That's what my call to ministry looked like now for the better part of 20 years. But that's not necessarily what every call to ministry looks like. And I want to argue this morning from our text that every Christian is called to ministry. Now by that, I don't mean necessarily that you're called to vocational ministry that you need to give up the job that you're in right now and go into vocation. That, that may be true for some of you, But that's certainly not true for everyone. But we're all called to ministry. And so let's hear from the word of the Lord 
We're in Romans 15. You can just like nudge the person next to you. I'm not going to hear you if you say amen today. And so I hope you're there with me. I'm going to read from verses 14 through the end of the chapter. So follow along, please. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But in some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for you. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, or excuse me, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped in my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness and blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the evildoers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen pray together father we thank you for your word your word that is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and we pray now lord jesus use this time to mold us and shape us father as we continue our study through the book of romans lord we pray this in jesus name amen so i've titled this morning's message ministry in the name of jesus and if you're a note-taker here's the central idea for today's message is that we are all called to be ministers of Christ Jesus. We are all called to be ministers of Christ Jesus. And this morning, we're going to examine Paul's call to ministry. 
We're, we're, we're not going to look at his Damascus Road experience, if you will. But nevertheless, we're going to look at the ministry that Paul was called to and that he was always faithful to minister in the name of the Lord. And we're going to see today his past faithfulness. We'll see his present activity. We'll see his future plans. And then finally, we'll see his prayer for unity in ministry. And so those four points this morning. Point number one, past faithfulness. We'll see this in verses 14 through 21. So the largest part of the text, uh, we'll see his past faithfulness. And I want to begin by reminding us this morning that there's been some, there's been some tension in the church in Rome. And that tension is specifically between the Jews and the Gentiles. There are questions about what Old Testament laws do we need to keep? Are we allowed to eat this food or that food? Um, and there's even questions among some, was the gospel even intended to go to the Gentiles? Paul, however, has made a strong argument, both here in Romans as well as other places in the, in the New Testament, that the gospel is indeed for everyone. It's for the Jews and for the Gentiles alike. But Paul considers himself an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, an apostle is just somebody who's been sent. And so he considers himself as someone who is sent especially to the Gentiles. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that Paul's not going to share the gospel with with a Jew, Paul will share the gospel with a Jew. And, it, and if you read the book of Acts, for that matter, you'll see that every time he comes to a new city, the first place he always goes is he goes to the synagogue and he shares the gospel with the Jews. But nevertheless, Paul feels himself called to be a, an apostle to the Gentiles. And as he writes to the church in Rome, he commends them in verse 14. He says this, look with me there at verse 14. He says that they are, quote, full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Now, I don't know about you, that's a, that's a pretty good word right there. That, that, those are some things that any one of us would be happy to be, have said about us, that we are um, full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. And so basically what Paul's doing is he's commending them for their progress in the gospel, that they've matured nicely in the gospel. But just because they've made progress in the gospel, it doesn't mean, if you will, that they've arrived, that they, that they have no place to go. Because he also reminds them in verse 15 that he says on some points, he's had to write to them very boldly. Now, we won't go back and rehearse those points. We've seen a number of those points in the last few weeks in the latter chapters of Romans, and so you can rehearse that for yourself. In verse 17, Paul tells us that he has reason to be proud for his work for God. Now, sometimes we throw around that word pride and we say, you know, well, pride is, is a sin. And indeed, pride can be a sin. But this isn't sinful pride here. I want you to notice verse 14. This pride is rooted in Christ Jesus. So the pride's not rooted in himself. It's rooted in Christ Jesus. And as a matter of fact, verse 18 goes on to say, he says, for I will not venture to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. <clears throat> Pardon me. Got a little frog in my throat. <clears throat> and so his pride here, Paul's actually exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what the Lord Jesus Christ has done through Paul. And we see that. We see actually what Jesus has done through Paul. 
at the end of verse 18 in the first part of verse 19. Christ has been with Paul by word and deed, by power of signs and wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God. In other words, Paul's not accomplishing this on his own. Christ rather is working in and through him to bring the Gentiles to obedience so that the offering of the Gentiles might be pleasing to God. And Paul's work in Christ has been so wildly successful that Paul boasts in the latter half of verse 19. He says, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. From Jerusalem to Illyricum, Paul has fulfilled, he says, this ministry of Christ. Now, Illyricum, just in case you don't know, that's in modern day Albania. It's a long, long way from Jerusalem, about a thousand miles, okay? And so that would be like you and I saying, you know, from Indian Head to Miami, Florida, we have fulfilled the ministry of Christ. That's a pretty bold statement. But in saying that, Paul is not, he's, he's not boasting, if you will, that he has personally shared the gospel with every single individual in that vast region. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's goal, however, in ministry, we see this in verse 20, his goal, his ambition was to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest he build on someone else's foundation. And so if Paul were a missionary today, what, what he's saying, if he were a missionary today, he would be a frontier missionary. He would be working amongst what people call unreached people groups. His ministry would have been starting churches where there aren't any churches, so that then the members of that church can go out and reach their community for Christ. He would be starting Christian outposts, Christian embassies all across the Mediterranean world. Again, planting churches where the gospel hadn't been named so that church members might share Christ with others. That was Paul's work. And in that work, he had a godly pride for the work that he had accomplished through Christ Jesus. Now, beloved, let me ask about us. What about you? If you've been a, minister, if you've been a, rather a Christian for more than, say, five or let's say even 10 years, can you look back in your life, can you look back and see some ministry in your own life for which you have a godly pride? Again, not, not a self-fulfilling pride, not a pride like, look at me, look at everything I've done, but a godly pride that you've been faithful in ministry. Now, that I'm not suggesting that you've planted churches between here and Miami, okay? That's not what I'm saying, nor is that what the text is saying. But have you been involved? Have you given yourself to Christian ministry? Your Christian ministry might not look anything like Paul's. It might not look anything like mine. Your Christian ministry may be wiping runny noses and dirty backsides in the the church nursery. Beloved, that's, that's a ministry, And through that ministry, you not only minister to those children, but you minister again to their moms and dads. Or your Christian ministry, maybe maybe it's looked like you open your home to, 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 to friends, to family, even to strangers, to share a meal and to share the gospel with them. Maybe that's your ministry. Can you look back 
If you've been following Christ for any length of time, can you look back and say, yes, I have given myself to the Lord's work. And by the power of Christ in me, I'm proud of the work that He has allowed me to accomplish. That's point number one, past faithfulness. Point number two, present activity. We're going to see this is in verses 25 through 27. His present activity. Present activity in verses 25 through 27. Sometimes, sometimes we think that because we've started one work, that we have an obligation now to do that work until we die. Like, you know, well, I've given myself this work, and so therefore I need to continue doing this until I die. But that's not what the Scriptures teach, and here we have a wonderful example of that. Uh, Look with me, before we get to verses 25 through 27, look with me in verses 23 and 24 for a moment. And I'll say more about these verses in a moment when we get to the point number four, but right now, Paul says in verse 23, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions. And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Again, I'll say more about that in a moment, but notice what he says here, that he no longer has any room for work between Jerusalem and Illyricum. His work is finished there. He's not doing that work anymore. He's done with that work. You know, to, for those of you who've been around PHVC for a long time, you know, a number of years ago, and this is long before my time, so I'm just going from what I've been told, but a number of years ago, PHVC had a number of buses that we would go out into the community and pick up children and bring those children to church. And from what I heard, it was a fairly profitable ministry. And praise God for that. Now, I'm not saying that bus ministries are entirely extinct, but they are nearly extinct. In our day, our, the cultural time has shifted. Parents, generally speaking, aren't going to put their children on a bus with strangers. It's just, it's not going to happen. That model for ministry has passed. But notice this, and this is crucially important, that even though Paul's ministry for church planning in that particular region, even though it had passed, Paul isn't sitting there on his hands and doing nothing. Look with me now at verse 25. He says now, in verse 25, at present, however, so this this is what I'm doing right now, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. And so Paul, he, he might not be planting churches in that region any longer, but he's still ministering in the name of Christ. And instead of planting churches, he's now bringing much needed financial and material assistance to the saints who are struggling in Jerusalem. Now, the Greek word that we have there in verse 25 for that he's bringing aid, it's the same root word that we actually looked at last week, where when when we said Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that word servant, uh, it's the same root word here. Bringing aid is a ministry of service to the saints in Jerusalem. So he's serving them in this way. But it's not just Paul. This is super important that we see this. It's not just Paul who's bringing aid to the saints in Jerusalem. In verse 26, Paul tells us that it's the saints in Macedonia and Achaia who were, quote, were pleased to make some contribution to the saints in Jerusalem. That word for contribution is the Greek word koinonia. You've probably, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard the word koinonia. Um, it's elsewhere it's translated as fellowship Um, it has this idea that living life together that that's the word koinonia 
And so for the saints in Macedonia and Achaia, what they're, they're saying that their act of giving to the saints in Jerusalem was their way of saying, we're in this together. We're on the same side. We're with you in your struggle. We are koinonia. We are together in this. Now we've been saying a lot over the last month here about the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, which goes to North American Missions. And so when you and I, when we give to that offering, for example, we're giving to churches like Savannah, Savannah Miller, the church in D.C. It's a church plant um, in D.C. Uh, Receive some funds. I don't know if they continue to receive funds. Probably not because they're, they're, they're 10 plus years old now. But they're a church that receives plant, uh, funds from the Annie Armstrong. And so that it's, it's our way of saying, hey, when we give to the Annie Armstrong, we're saying, hey, we're with you. We're on the same team. We want to work with you. Or during Christmas time, when we give money to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, that goes to international missions. It, it's, it goes to Savannah to pay her salary. And we're saying to Savannah, we're with you. You and thousands of other missionaries just like you, we're with you. We're in this with you. We are fellowshipping with you in your work. And we should be. Verse 27, we should be pleased to do it. Paul reminds the church in Rome that they actually owe it to the saints in Jerusalem. And what he's saying there in 26, um, in verse 27, is, listen, the gospel would have never made its way to Rome if it hadn't started in Jerusalem. If the saints in Jerusalem hadn't been faithful in sharing that gospel with others, it never would have made it to Rome. Now think about that for ourselves, beloved. To how many people do we owe our love and support? How many people have been instrumental in bringing the gospel to us? Look again there at verse 27. He says, For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. To how many people do we owe a debt of gratitude for the work they did in bringing the gospel to us? But here's my overall thrust in this second point. Is it, can you look at your life right now? now? Maybe you have a godly pride about something you did in the past and praise God for that. But can you look at your life right now and give testimony to the ministry to Christ that's in your life right now. Maybe, maybe you're not doing what you used to do. Okay? You know, maybe at one, at one station in your life, your children were young and so you were super involved in the children's ministry and um, youth ministries. And praise God for that. And you felt like, well, my children aren't in that. I don't need to be involved. Just, just a quick aside. Just because you don't have children in those ministries doesn't mean that you can't come alongside and help young people who are in that ministry right now. Uh, these young people need mentors to look toward. Um, but that, that aside, maybe, maybe you've made a prayerful decision. I'm not going to be involved in this ministry any longer. But what ministry then are you involved in? You know, Paul stopped his ministry. He stopped his planning of churches between Jerusalem and Illyricum. He stopped it. But can you say with Paul... At present, however, I am, and you fill in the blank. Where are you presently 
active in ministry. Point number three, future plans. Future plans. And so far we've seen Paul's past work, that's his, his planning of churches from Jerusalem to Illyricum. We've seen his present work, the bringing of the offering to Jerusalem. But now Paul, he has his mind on even bigger things. He's looking forward. And he he knows that by definition, if you will, his current ministry is only a temporary ministry. He's going to deliver that offering to the saints in Jerusalem. And then he knows that once that's done, he still wants to be doing something for the Lord. So we're going to see this future ministry. We'll see it in verses 22 through 24 and then again in 28 and 29 look with me please in verse 22 paul tells the church in rome that the reason he's quote been so often hindered from coming to them is because he's had this ambition to preach the gospel of christ where he hasn't already been named we might even say we might even draw from this passage that that's really his passion that's paul's passion that this is what makes his heart tick This is what drives him. This is what gets him up in the morning. This gives him energy. Planting churches where the gospel of Christ has not been named. But as we saw a few moments ago, there's there's no longer any room for him. Verse 20, there's no room for him to preach the gospel in that region. So he sets his sight on another goal. In verse 24, he wants to go to Spain so that he can preach the gospel there. I mean, he's, you know, he's pushing the boundaries, his missionary boundaries. And not only does he want to go to Spain, this is so important. Listen to this, friends. Watch this in verse 24. He wants to be helped on his journey there by the saints in Rome. I heard one preacher one time refer to the entire book of Romans. He says you know, that Romans is really just one long missionary support letter. Uh, you've probably received if you've been a christian for any length of time you've you've received one of these letters right where a missionary will send you and say this is what i'm doing and and just want you want you to get praise for this and by the way uh, please continue to pray for me and if you can help support me you'll send some money along the way now I, i think there's more to the book of romans than simply a missionary support letter but there's certainly not less than that here paul prayerfully wants their help He knows that he can't do this on his own. He needs other believers to come alongside him so that he can fulfill what he believes the Lord is leading him to do. And so then skip down to verse 28 and 29. After he's made delivery to the offering of the saints in Jerusalem, he's planning on leaving for Spain, notice this, by way of the Christians in Rome. And he's prayerfully optimistic, according to verse 29, that when he comes to them, that he will come in the fullness of the blessings of christ in other words he expects a warm welcome and he feels that it's going to be a mutual warm welcome he's looking forward to that time so here here's the action item for us today what ministry has the lord put on your heart what ministry has the lord put on your heart what do you hope to be doing a year from now for the lord What do you hope to be doing, say, five years from now for the Lord? What is your plan to minister on behalf of Christ Jesus? You know, some of you, maybe you're contemplating retirement now, retirement from like your vocation, your regular vocation, and God bless you for that. But let me, let me be absolutely straight up with you here. There is no retirement from ministry. 
Now, there may be retirement from like vocational ministry, what I'm doing, but there's never, for a Christian, there's never retirement from ministry. Until we go home to be with the Lord Himself, we are called to minister on behalf of Jesus. And so as we get older, that ministry, it may look different. Our bodies uh, fatigue and our minds fatigue. Maybe we're not as sharp as we once were. And so we don't minister in the same way, but there's never a time to stop ministering. Our ministry in the latter years may look different than it did in the early years, but there's still ministry happening. But I want you to keep this in mind as well. Whatever the Lord is calling you to do, He's not calling you to do that as a lone ranger. He's not calling you to, to be out there all by yourself doing this work. Our ministry on behalf of the Lord is never a solo effort. We need to be helped in our ministry by one another. So just to give you a, a very concrete example. So my ministry at this point in my life, I believe, is, to, is pastoral ministry here at PHBC. And I praise God for that. My wife and I were just talking in the car yesterday about what a wonderful one. It's been nearly 10 years. Well, not, well it's been a little over nine years. And so this is our 10th year of ministry here. And what a wonderful decade this has been. We've, we've, if you know us, you know we've had ups and we've had downs. But what a, overall, what a wonderful, wonderful decade but I can't do this ministry by myself. I need your help. Okay? I can't do it by myself. We need to work together. Savannah, who we saw in the video uh, a few moments ago, she, she feels like she's being called to Germany for the next two years, perhaps longer, maybe even for the rest of her life. But she can't do that without our financial support and our prayers. She can't do it. So, do you have a vision for what type of ministry the Lord is calling you to do? And do you have a vision for how the body of Christ, of how we can come together to accomplish that ministry? Now let's turn our attention now to, the, to our final point. Point number four. Prayerful unity. Prayerful unity. In verses 30 through 33, uh, Paul ties all of this together with an appeal to prayerful unity. And so let's look at those verses one more time. I'm going to read them, uh, those four verses. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So I want us to take just a moment here to examine the inclusive language that Paul is using in this passage. Five times in these verses, five times Paul uses the word you or your. Now in in English, of course, you or your could be singular, could be plural, we don't know. But in the Greek language, there's a different word for a singular you and there's a different word for a plural you. And so here we know without, without a doubt, Paul is using in all five instances, he's talking about the plural you. He's welcoming, in other words, the entire church in Rome. I want you, all of you, to be a part of this. And not only that, in verse 30, he encourages them to strive together with me in your prayers. To strive together with me. You see, there there aren't teams or factions. They're working together. There's an appeal here for unity that's based on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and the love of the Spirit. And here's what I want to close with, beloved. I want to remind us that we are a family. And we minister on behalf of the name of Jesus. And we do so together. We minister with one another. That doesn't mean that everyone is actively ministering in the same ministry. You know, we can't have the whole church, for example, up here on the praise team. Uh, that, that won't work, right? But we all are ministering. Some of us are ministering actively in one particular ministry and passively in other ministries. And so just to use the praise team example, you, you know, we, we have, you know, say 10-ish people that are up here at one time or another in the praise team actively singing or playing their instruments actively for us. But you and I, so I'm not up here singing with them, but what we can do is we can passively minister with them. We can pray for them, pray that there's unity in the praise team, pray that as they sing, as they play, that they do so for the glory of the Lord. And then when they're up here playing, we can, you know, when we're in this room together, we can sing that they can be encouraged and say, wow, listen to the voices of the congregation as they sing. And so we are passively um, encouraging them in the ministry. Your ministry may be child care. Your ministry may be youth ministry. Your ministry may be visiting shut-ins. I don't know what your ministry is. But are you actively involved in some type of ministry? And is the church coming alongside with you? But this I know without a doubt. Sideline Christianity is not an option. We're, we are all called to minister on behalf of Jesus. I have a book in my office. Um, it's called The Valley of the Vision. Um, or the Valley of Vision. Uh, it's a book of prayers, old prayers. Well, not like ancient old, but several hundred years old. Written mostly, I believe, if memory serves me right, by, by Puritans. And I found this prayer. Um, it's called God's Cause. And I think it fits especially well uh, with our message today. And so I just want to read this prayer um, as we close. It says, and this is, it would be like hearing King James because this is, this is how they prayed a few hundred years ago. Sovereign God, thy cause, not my own, engages my heart. And I appeal to thee with greatest freedom to set up thy kingdom in every place where Satan reigns. Glorify thyself, and I shall rejoice. For to bring honor to thy name is my sole desire. I adore thee, that thou art God, and long that others should know it and rejoice in it. Oh, that all men might love and praise Thee, that Thou mightest have all glory from the intelligent world. Let sinners be brought to Thee for Thy dear name. To the eye of reason, everything respecting the conversion of others is as dark as midnight. But Thou canst accomplish great things. The cause is Thine. It is to Thy glory that men should be saved. Lord, Use me as Thou wilt. Do with me what Thou wilt. But oh, promote Thy cause. Let Thy kingdom come. Let Thy blessed interest be advanced in this world. Oh, do Thou bring in great numbers to Jesus. Let me see that glorious day and give me to grasp for multitudes of souls let me be willing to die to that end. And while I live, let me labor for Thee to the utmost of my strength, 
spending time profitably in this word, both in health and weakness. It is thy cause and kingdom I long for, not my own. O oh, answer thou my request. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace and your kindness. Thank you for allowing us to minister on behalf of Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to be actively involved. Help us to remember times past when in your goodness and your kindness you allowed us to be involved. And help us to press on forward to see times in the future, things that you've called us to, that will bring you honor and glory. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.